deputy now. I come to a halfway job. And I have right in church. Well, Tonight, uh, we're going to be talking things Fortean, things weird, things strange, things that are unexplained. So I've been thinking about this, Dave, and I've come up with on my list more personal stories than I actually envisaged I would, because obviously there's loads of great stuff Super. that you can find um, in the 14 times and... You know, going back to Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World yeah, and absolutely. the Unexplained magazines, always things. I used to love reading that magazine. I think my uncle used to get it. And uh, But yes, but there's been quite a few when I've thought about it, 14 type incidents in my life, really. And uh, really? The, of these have occurred when I was a kid. I think probably all of them have. Uh, but the one I remember the most was... This is something my brother, my older brother Gav, remembers. He was a couple of years older than me. And we and we used to talk about it through our childhood, you know. Every couple of years, you know, we might mention, oh, yeah, do you remember that? Or something might remind us of it. And I referred to it as the red spot. But having spoken to Gav a couple of days ago, he remembers it as the nasty spot. And oh, what wow. it was, we were both in our pyjamas, I remember. It was night time. And for some reason, we'd gone into my mum and dad's room and there was this red spot bouncing around the room, you know, bouncing off the walls, bouncing wow. off the ceiling, sort of coming close to us. And I remember my mum and dad were like encouraging us to get it. And they, for some reason, were quite passive in this. And what happened in the end was uh, Gavin actually trapped it in his Tarzan book. Wow. Right. <laughs> and he said it crushed like a poppadom. And that was the end of the red stroke nasty spot. Oh, my God. Now, like I say, I was about six or seven. And it's always something we remembered. And uh, I spoke to my mum and dad uh, just at the weekend, actually, and also to Gav about it, just so I could get the, the facts straight. And Gavin straight away remembers it. He says, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was really weird. And my mum and dad have absolutely no recollection of it whatsoever. Wow. It sort of got me thinking, well, you know, obviously did this thing happen? And if it mm. didn't, then what's the explanation? Now, there is this, I don't know if you've heard of this other phenomenon called the Mandela effect. Ah, yes, I have, yeah. Put simply is collective false memory, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So it comes from, obviously, an incident involving Nelson Mandela mm. when he was released from prison mm. in, um, was it 91, something like that? Mm. Loads of people in Africa were absolutely freaked, right? Because they remember him dying in mm. prison some years yeah. earlier. And they all remember it vividly. Well, that's what they say anyway. People from different countries, they seem to remember seeing the funeral mm. on TV. So obviously when they see him walking out, they're absolutely freaked out because they didn't think he was alive. 
Yeah, no, I've, I, yeah, I'm aware of the Mandela effect. I, I often wonder whether they, what's happened in people's psyche is that they've mixed the Steve Biko death with Mandela's death. Maybe something's happened there, but yeah, it's a very unusual situation because people were. There's been a lot of people who thought, well, Mandela was dead. Mm. Yeah, no, but it's a really very interesting. I said to Gab, do you think it happened? And he said, I'm convinced it happened. And I'm mm. convinced it happened because, you know, you've got the detail of the Tarzan book and us uh, speaking about it when we were a lot younger. You know, it wasn't something we both could have dreamt. I mean, I know kids have a bit of an imagination, but it's a re- really, really weird incident. All the examples of that Mandela effect are things like TV programs that people thought that they'd seen. You know, there was one famous film or tv show that people thought existed which was called shazam oh yes and it was uh starring this comedian simbad mm. and people are absolutely convinced yeah that that came out on you know in the 90s and uh but the closest thing to it was a film called Kazam, and it was starring Shaquille O'Neal, you know, the yeah. basketball player. But people go, no, no, that's nothing to do with it. I know, it, I know. Fucking, the, it was called Shazam, and uh, fucking it's Sinbad funny. Was I in just it. saw something on that just the mm. other day, which is interesting because the guy, the Sinbad guy, was absolutely mm. infuriated by it all the time. Well, he was, but what he did on April Fool's Day is he he got dressed up as uh, <laughs> like a, you know, a genie. Yeah. And did a bit of a sketch on it. <laughs> Getting his own so back. He eventually, uh, he eventually embraced it, probably because he could get a bit of publicity out of it. Indeed. One of the explanations for the Mandela effect is that the world changed into a simulation or there is, I think somebody put a date on it saying, where, well, the world stopped being real from this date and the rest was a simulation. This explains why things that you you seem to remember didn't appear to exist in this reality or this false reality. Yeah. Other theories put forward are alternative universes, you know. Multidimensional. Multidimensional universes, yeah. So where every conceivable outcome is played out in one universe or another. But to me, that's a bit, I can't quite get my head around that. Very interesting phenomenon anyway. Very interesting. And a great little joint memory of the, yeah. that I've had yeah. of this. That's really strange as well. So it was like a ball of light that was around yeah, the room, but then it yeah. crushed in the book, which yeah, is Yeah, because I thought my dad was messing about. But right. know, things like laser pens didn't exist then. But it was just this like little spot that just kept bouncing around the world and seemingly trying to torment you, you know. Fascinating, mate. I love it. So what have you got, Dave? Well, from a very personal point of view, there was an incident that uh, happened about... How how long ago was it now? It probably was about seven or eight years ago. We were stopping at a friend's house uh, in the Lake District, and we'd been to see them a few times, many times, really, at the same house. And... Uh, when we got there, there was no sign of any car, and uh, we stopped our car in front of the, the big bay window in a room that was they called the piggery, right? And from my memory, there was uh, just like um, lamp lights, a lamp light on in the piggery and a light on in the in the kitchen, it seemed, uh, but no sign of them. 
But then, as I got out of the car, I'm starting to take luggage out because we were staying for a few days. Uh, I looked up at the piggery and I saw a kid that appeared by the curtain and the kid had quite long hair uh, and it was kind of silhouetted. So I couldn't really see features. Yeah. But I assumed it was one of their kids because they both had quite long hair, the younger one of the two. Yeah, yeah. So I turned to uh, Jack, uh, my wife, and I said, oh, they're here. They're here. I've just seen the kids like this. Mm. So they went, George and Jack went down to the door to try and open the door. And uh, as they do that, their car pulls up. Bloody hell. Behind. And do you know the bizarre thing, though, Lee, is that I didn't really speak about it to him. I didn't talk about it. I think I might have mentioned it to Jackie and then we didn't really, and then we were just having a nice chat and stuff. And I didn't, I've thought about it more recently. I've even thought to myself, did I, did I sort of have some kind of strange moment in my brain where I just imagined or see, yeah. but it was real. I saw it. Mm-hmm. I saw it. And I've been in that room quite a few times. In fact, I fell asleep in, in there one oh, night. God. And I, <laughs> But I don't feel uncomfortable or anything, but I did, I did think about it. Did it? You know, I, did did it, it I did think, was I going to see the apparition of a, a young child appear in the room yeah. or something? But it was weird. Yeah, definitely weird. And I definitely saw like an animated figure there yeah. that, that emerged. It kind of merged behind the curtain and then sort of darted as if it was going to come down to say hello, through come through the house and say hello <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, weird. Did it make you fearful then for the rest of the stay, or did no, you? No, this is the thing. I don't. I really don't think I was on that. Mm. I, I can't. I can't really remember to be honest with you, mate. I can't mm. really remember. I'm sure I th- thought about it, but but uh, yeah, I, I kind of think more about it now. You know, mm. I kind of think more about it after the event. Strangely, yeah. Very strange. So there you go. Indeed, yeah. Another personal one I've got is that um, it's there's sort of a few stories around the same type of thing, really. It's about relatives dying. And when I was a kid, again, I lost all my grandparents. And uh, the first grandparent I lost was my dad's dad. He died in 79, so I would have been eight or nine then. And... Mm. uh, what I remember, I don't remember a, a huge amount about it, but the stories came from a mum and dad. Okay, right. we both yeah. had very strange experiences. Uh, so what had happened is my da- my granddad had had a heart attack. He was a heavy smoker. He had a heart attack, and he was in hospital. And uh, my grandmother and my dad had gone to visit him, but he was expected to be fine. You know, he was recovering okay, and. Uh, he was expected to be discharged fairly soon. So what had happened is my grandma had gone home. My dad had to stay on for some reason. Uh, so he was due to leave a bit later, you know, so he hung about a bit in the hospital. And as he was on his way home, my mum was at home on her own. We were at school and uh, she was sat just watching telly, sat on the sofa. And this picture that was situated behind her on the wall Mm. just suddenly fell off the wall now it didn't 
fall straight down as you would expect it to do you know if the nail gives way it ended up toppling over in front of her and hit her on the bridge of the nose so it's almost like it, it moved forward and then fell because if you think about the physics of it's, it's behind you and you're sat on a sofa so your your head's probably almost a foot away from the wall isn't it yeah with the sofa so anyway, it ended up hitting on the bridge of the nose. Really hurt, as she said. And then the phone in the hall goes, right? So she goes out of the living room. And as she's going down the hall, she says that she saw my granddad. Oh, my God. Right? Wow. And, and it really made her stop in her tracks. Good grief, I bet. You know, and she saw him at the front door just for a sort of split second. So she goes and answers the phone, and it's my grandmother on the phone. And she's in tears because her husband had suddenly died. So all those three things happened very, very quickly. And, you know, it hardly had a chance to make sense of one before the other happened. So what happened is my granddad had fell out of bed and had just died. You know, we don't really know why exactly. Like I say, he wasn't expected to die. Wow. Uh, so you had that thing happening. That is really, that is really freaky. Yeah, that is freaky. The the weirdest thing, Dave, after what was discovered after this is that at my granddad's home, he had a grandfather clock, right? It was this really imposing grandfather clock in the living room. And it's actually in my mum and dad's house now. It's it's knackered. It doesn't have a face. It doesn't have any workings because on that day that he died, it stopped. Oh, my God. It stopped at the time he died. Good. And it didn't right. just stop, i.e. that it needed winding up. A big, thick metal wire, which held the weights, had snapped. Oh, my God. And that's something that you would never expect to happen because those clocks were built to last. That's incredible. That's an amazing story, Lee. No. Really, and really And I've always amazing. grew up knowing this story. And I've never been, it was part of from being a kid, you know, really being into the supernatural and ghosts, mm. you know, as an adult, I've never believed in an afterlife or no things like that. But when it happens to you or happened to my mum and dad, who are definitely not the type of people that would make this up. No, uh, not at all. I'm like you in, in the fact that I'm pretty much agnostic, if not, if not atheistic, you know, in my yeah. thoughts. And, and yet I, like I've already said, I've seen something that I can't explain. And uh, I've been in a situation in my bed one night when I was young and heard the bedside drink shift across the top of the bedside table. That really <laughs> freaked me out. That I was really freaked out by that. And it, it, I didn't go back in the bedroom. I left the bedroom for a while. I didn't, want, I didn't go back for ages. I was freaked mm. out by that. Yeah. I still kind of think about that a little bit now, you know. And one of my brothers, who, again, is very pragmatic about these things, woke up one morning and this was in a modern house. It was his house in, uh, I think he was living in Timperley at the time. And it was a modern kind of modern building, one of these like cul-de-sac jobs, you know, little yeah. estate. And he woke up to see what looked like a Victorian maid, you know, like a Downton Abbey type maid <laughs> walking down what appeared to be a spiral staircase, but she was missing from below 
the dress, if you like. She, she had no legs or knees, just oh, yeah. that coming down. He watched it for several seconds before it was sort of evaporated in front of his eyes. And yeah. it was like, it was there. It was there in front of me. It was so bizarre. Yeah. Now, yeah. was that kind of a sleep paralysis? Did he see that? Do you know what I mean? What I saw, was that almost kind of like a moment of sleep, maybe a kind of sleep paralysis? Sometimes you, you, there's a lot of ways to try and rationalise these things, mm. even if they seem incredibly real. But I can only speak for myself and what my brother said to me. He said that was very real. And yet he's, again, a non-believer, very pragmatic. It seemed incredibly real. And he seemed like I was very alert at the time. Mm-hmm. I could say the same about my situation too. And an interesting one, very quickly, I'll just say that when sadly my mum my passed away, which was a shock to us all because she was quite young, really, for her age. She was only 62, 61, 62. Um, and my dad was exhausted after everything that had taken place. And he went and he, he, he had a lie down on the settee. And he said, I was so exhausted, so tired. It really felt like I, I could go into a deep sleep and never wake up. I, I really thought, just take me now. I don't care. I'm mm-hmm. exhausted. And he said he fell asleep on the on the sofa, but was awakened from his sleep by my mum's voice that was so clear in his ear. Yeah. Like she was there going, wake up, Billy, wake up, Billy, wake up. Come on. You need to wake up. And I've never until that moment ever heard my dad speak in a kind of 40 and supernatural kind of way. That was really weird for to hear my dad speak. like. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Same with my dad, because my so, dad, is, you know, my mum, she grew up in a religious household, still still a bit of a believer. My dad never never no, was totally yeah. pragmatic yeah. down the line yeah exactly you know and my dad has something now passed away but he lived to the ripe old age of 86 but mm. he was a very pragmatic kind of person very mm. much so and to and, hear and what, him say that made me think gosh that's really unusual that he he absolutely was adamant it was so clear again you're absolutely exhausted it could be a form of sleep paralysis things can be incredibly vivid but i've always known i've always felt like i've known when it was a dream you know yeah well this is it you can see you you can see things or you can hear things and you might think oh my mind's playing tricks but when a picture flies off a wall and the the grandfather clock actually stops yeah actually stops and something physically breaks inside it which means it's never gonna go again that's amazing. That's that's on a different level, I think. But uh, I completely agree, mate. You know, um, I remember being sat in the living room as a kid, and an ornament would suddenly fall off the Welsh dresser and smash. You know, it absolutely shit you up. You'd be sat at home watching ever decreasing circles on a Sunday night or something. Yeah. And this this in, this big ornament would come, pottery ornament would would just come crashing down, even though it was set two two inches back from the front of the shelf. And then the phone would go, my mum would go and answer it, and someone had died. You know, it might be a, a pretty distant relative. That happened at least twice. I think there was one time a picture came off the wall, and then she got a phone call. And also, this is another story, as when I was born, because I was actually born at home. Right. right my mum was upstairs in bed. I don't think she was expected to go into labour. 
and my dad was downstairs talking to a neighbor who'd, who'd come come for a cup of tea or something and he was standing in front of the chimney breast and on the chimney breast was this picture and when they got it they realized the frame was warped right so it wouldn't hang very well so my dad ended up having to nail it to the wall right and he's talking to the neighbor and all of a sudden the picture comes off the wall crashes down onto the fire below and they used to show me the dint in the gas fire you know and say oh that that picture fell down when you were born and as soon as it hit the fire my dad heard my mum shouting because she was going into labor with me wow wow that's amazing the coincidences yeah yeah it could be a coincidence that but one, it's but... but it's an incredible coincidence mm. it really is especially as yeah. the picture was nailed to the, the fucking wall you yeah know? there's something to be said for the possibility of a kind of a kind of almost like an extrasensory power that is so overwhelming in you know instinctual like like going into labor would be a huge emotional reaction can resonate perhaps in some way you know because there's an awful lot more that's going on in the world than than we really know about i think this is the great thing i think there are mysteries even if you are an agnostic like me who doesn't have any religion there are so many anomalies and oddities and strange things and we have lost a great deal of our if you like extrasensory abilities like dogs look how amazing dogs are with their senses yeah, yeah definitely. and they i mean my wonderful little dog i mean i love her so much but she can sense all sorts of things she she almost knows before the person's come up the drive that someone's coming yes. they're, they're remarkable yeah how they, yeah. Can, they can pick up on things they can sense well, did you ever hear about that dog that um, that went to say goodbye to all the family in the middle of the night and then died? Oh, my God. Oh, it, so it, was, it was a lovely story oh about this God. dog. And I think the dog had, was never allowed upstairs, you know, oh, in America somewhere. That's and, heartbreaking. Uh, it, it went into each of the rooms of the family members and, you know, would go up to them, wake them up, you know, oh. lick the faces, often his paw. And, oh. you know, all the family members are thinking, what's going on here? Why are you up here and half asleep and that? And then they woke up in the morning and the, the, the dog had just died. Oh, man, that is so... I know, it's so beautiful, but like you say, so sad, isn't it? That it's so goddamn sad. Dogs, is, yeah. I mean, like dogs, dogs and kids, they're just anything... Breaks my heart. If, I'm saving uh, up here now. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, cats, you can throw them on a fire, but I mean... Like... <laughs> anything to do with the dog and like i think of my little dog and you, i know you, your dog's beautiful as well and mm. i know for a fact that whippets have such beautiful temperaments as well yeah which is great thing. but our dog is a jack russell poodle cross which you know could be like highly strong and and yeah she might seem highly strong to the right, host yeah you know Poodles well quite nippy aren't they well you'd think that wouldn't you but actually what's happened there is that the, the poodle with the jack it softens it yeah a- anything anytime a poodle's crossed with any dog it seems to just soften the edges whereas a poodle on its own like you say can be quite it can be quite uptight yeah <laughs> but because uh, they're bloody fashioned in such an embarrassing way isn't it and, and like, i actually think that jack russell's get a bad press because i think mm. jack russell's 
if they're brought up right from the start, can be beautiful. But I think they're quite often because they're terriers and they're farm dogs and you get a lot of like bloody farmer palmer nut jobs who don't know what they're doing or always bloody smacking them and belt belting them and kicking them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not they're not getting socialised as much and that's makes that probably makes them nip quite nippy if they're quite feisty anyway. Yeah. But as ah, she's so goddamn she's just so lovely and she, it's like she's got all this empathy going on. She understands when you're not feeling 100 percent and she can sense changes all the time she, and the, the way they greet you every morning. But I just wanted to say, I remember a couple of times she's up in the night and she's really whining and anxious to go outside. And I think, what the hell's the matter with her? And, and you, get up, let her out. And do you know what? She knew that the hedgehog was outside. <laughs> How the hell Amazing. did she know the hedgehog was outside? Amazing. Because she just knew it was there. So th- that incredible ability to sense is remarkable in a dog. And w- I'm sure we had those instincts. Do you not think that maybe in the past we had sort of an extrasensory ability that we've lost through kind of modernization and civilization, if you like? Mm, you know, yeah. The way that the the aborigines talk about it you know they they feel like they're more in touch with nature or yeah yeah or inuits you know yeah just to finish the family death uh trilogy if you want to call it that um this was a story i didn't know until a few days ago um because i started speaking to my dad you know about the way he dad his dad died and just so i could get the facts straight and um i was talking to my mum and my mum because she was obviously involved in that. But she said uh, when her mum died, now her, my mum's mum was a very religious woman. So you'd go into her house and in the back room, it's like a shrine, you know, to Jesus and the Virgin Mary. You know, there was pictures up everywhere, crucifixes. And uh, she was a really heavy smoker. So you'd always hear grandma before you, you actually saw her. So you'd walk through the door and you'd hear this hacking cough, you know, coming through the back room. And uh, she did die in the end of lung cancer. And she was in hospital uh, on her own, as it happens, when she died. And she died at three o'clock in the morning. At the exact time, my mum woke up with a cough that she couldn't get rid of for ages. Oh, wow. But not only that, Dave, a sister woke up at exactly the same time with the same cough. Oh, my God. And I, I was blown away when she told me this because I knew nothing about this. But she also told me that her dad, because he didn't know his wife had died, he'd got up in the morning and he'd gone downstairs and into the room where my grandma always was. On the mantelpiece, there used to be a picture of, I think it was Jesus or, or, or the Virgin Mary. It was just resting on the mantelpiece against the wall and in front of it was a metal crucifix. And when my granddad came down, both those objects were on the floor. Oh, my God. But the crucifix was actually on top of the picture. Oh, wow. Whereas on the mantelpiece, it was in front of it. So if it had just fallen, the crucifix would have been, you know, beneath the picture. My granddad described it as if it had been placed carefully because it was it was very carefully <laughs> placed in the middle of the back of this picture. And at that point, he didn't know, sadly, that his wife had died. Going back to the my granddad's story when he died in the grandfather clock, 
um, stopped. I was reading in the 14 Times, they have this mm. section called It Happened to Me. Mm. And one of the readers had written in about a very, very similar story about his mum and dad dying and the clock stopping. Oh, wow. This was like a mantelpiece clock. And he yeah. said he died at the same time his mum died and his dad had got the clock going again. But then it stopped again. Goodness. And that's that was the same time his dad died. I can't remember how far apart the two deaths were, but Oh god, I bet it made you uh, chill I did up the spine when you read that. Else's, yeah. That's fascinating, really. Mm. Wow. But it makes me wonder, you know, what what why do those things happen? Why do you things come off the wall, you get a phone call? What what's actually at play there, do you think? Or well, um, I mean it, I mean obviously you, the skeptic would say it's coincidence, but the, it's such coincidence. Well, there's physically that makes it, physical impossibilities that have happened in in a couple yeah. of those stories. Well, you definitely, know. definitely. They're, they're, you know, I am a skeptic, so I will always look for an alternative mm-hmm. explanation. But as Holmes said, you know, once you eliminate all the possible yeah. scenarios, what you're left with, however impossible, must be the truth of the matter. That's right. Exactly. It's like the a duck theory, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Looks like a duck, sounds like a duck. It's a duck. Yeah. You know, if you if if you have something that's that's so so incredibly coincidental, so obvious. I mean, the story about seeing your mother seeing your grandfather. I mean, that's incredible. You know, and the mm. you know, and really quite spooky as well. Yeah. And I have to say that um, I find them all very interesting, but. No, none more so than the, yours and Gav's. I mean, the little red object in the room, mm. that's really unusual. And the fact that it's trapped in a bucket, it makes a crush, crushing sound and it's gone, you know, almost like it was a, like a, a living entity of some sort. Very strange. Yeah. Like I said, spoke to him at the weekend and he said, for me, it was something that happened. And, you know, I've always wondered about it and thought about it. Mum and dad, I mean, the memories aren't great. You know, mm. getting on, they mm. don't have any recollection of it whatsoever. You'd think that they'd be the ones hunting about for this or trying it's to catch this red spot, spot, but they played a very passive role in it. Well, but, but possibly Lee, that they could, didn't see it. All they saw was you and Gav being two kids with imagination. Mm. Running around the room, could have been, yeah. Pretending that you're, ch- they're thinking, oh, they're just pretending that, oh, aren't they cute? Aren't the kids cute? Running <laughs> around in our room at half eleven. <laughs> it's that old adage again, of of course, of the younger mind, the the child's brain, that has some of that extrasensory power yeah. that we we're talking about. Yeah, that yeah. It's lost as you get into adulthood and into the material world. This is then the old adage isn't it the idea of the material world that sucks away all this kind of um supernatural if you like that yeah. supernature that, that we can tap into if we really try but we can't because we get so involved in the modern world yeah uh, but talking of tapping into sort of some kind of ancient spirit i must tell you the story that my dad told me about my great uncle uh, and he told it as we were driving from Carnarvon back to Clandidna where we were staying because we'd been to see our relatives in Carnarvon. And it's a story that my dad then re- uh, regaled to us uh, in the journey back. I was sitting in the dicky seat of our, vo- our Volvo estate at the time. Mm. 
So I was I was I was looking back at the road as my dad was driving forward, isolated at the back, the dicky seat, and he told and he told us this story as we drove along in the dark of night. It was really dark. And the story goes as this: My great uncle Bill, he left this, the pub in uh, Kiathro, where uh, near Carnarvon, and he walked through this wood on the way back to his house. He was newly married at the time, and uh, to me, Auntie Enid. And as he walked through the woodland, he could hear these footsteps behind him. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he was a tough little bugger, you know. He he didn't think much of it, so he carried on footsteps carried on and he thought I could have sworn there was nobody behind me as I came into the woodland to make the shortcut home carry on a bit further into the woodland he could hear the footsteps and he stopped his tracks he said hey who's that who's that come on you know stop playing silly buggers what's going on no noise just a whistle of the wind he felt a little bit spooked he carried on a bit further and the footsteps started again the footsteps in time with him, just a few yards behind him. And then he started walking faster, started getting, started really feeling pretty uncomfortable about this. And he got faster, the footsteps got faster. And then he found himself running and he was running full pelt and he could hear the clippity clop of the footsteps behind him, full pelt, gaining on him. And he thought, I've had enough of this, no more. He stopped, he stopped in his tracks, he turned round. And as he felt the footsteps and the breath coming towards him, he turned around and he swung out at this person, as he thought. And as he swung out, he felt nothing. He felt nothing at all. But it completely stopped. There was nothing there. And of course, it's pitch black. He didn't have anything anything yeah. to stay around him. So he pelted it home, came in through the front door. And as he came through the front door, he looked at the, the hand that had thrown the punch yeah. And you could see that his, his clothing, his shirt was ripped, like shredded, and his hand was covered in blood. Bloody hell. It was totally free. That is amazing. So he went back out with a torch to see what had happened. Maybe that they, maybe he had and just hadn't felt the impact for some bizarre reason. And there was, maybe there was a body line on the floor. He was absolutely freaked out because his hand yeah. was absolutely covered in blood. There was nothing there. And wiped the blood off his hand, not a mark on his hand. God, but a week to the day, at what may have been the same time, he was cleaning his gun because of you know living in a little crofting house there. You know he, he ran the abattoir in Carnarvon in the end. You know it was, <laughs> it was a rough kind of farming existence that, that you know they lived there. But anyway, so he was cleaning his gun, and it went off in his hand. It shredded the shirt he was wearing. Some of the book went in his hand and his hand was covered in blood. What was this after? The week after. Oh, my to God. To the day. That, I remember Dad told me that story. We were absolutely gapping it. <laughs> driving back through the Welsh countryside. You know, it's like a, a, looking a... out at the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and the, and the Volvo. It was like an omen or a... Exactly. A warning. Exactly, a warning. God. Did your dad ever offer any his view on it? or? No, I can't remember my dad. I remember him telling the story brilliantly and, and mm. us just absolutely shitting it. Yeah. 
And I thought, wow, that's a fantastic story. And I, I never got the chance to talk to my Uncle Bill because he was dead by then. But I remember him really well because he had this massive... He, had, he was this really squat little guy. That mm. He was like as broad as he was tall. And he had this like massive, crazy, mad professor hair that went up in the air. A bit like the doc out of Back to the Future. Yeah. But thicker. And it was kind of made me think that maybe that, that fright was such a fright that it made his hair stick up so mm. much. Because he really did have this kind of stick up hair. Which you know was lost on me as a relative because I've got no fucking hair at all. <laughs> God, that's a good one. Right, so uh, I'm going to tell you one. There's nothing to do with me. This was uh, about a beekeeper called Margaret Bell. Oh, so she was like a, a beekeeper in a residential area. I think it was. I can't quite remember where it is. But she was an elderly woman. She absolutely doted on these bees that she kept and, uh, you know, devoted much of her life to them. And uh, when she died, there was obviously a funeral and people were at the funeral. And I've heard the eyewitnesses talk about what happened next when they're outside, you know, the lower and into the ground. And it's like it suddenly went dark. The sky went black and people are looking up. They couldn't tell what it was at first, but it turned out to be like thousands, hundreds of thousands of bees. Wow. Huge swarm of bees that oh, had just come to attend. Oh, my God. This is the theory, anyway. They'd come to attend Margaret's funeral. And th- th- I think there is something about bees being able to communicate uh, with their hive keepers, if you like. There's, there's other stories yeah. uh, I've heard as well. But not only that, after the funeral, when they went back home, and I've seen actually video footage of this, on the street opposite uh, of a terraced house where Margaret lived, there was like loads of bees just on the wall, you know, on the corner of this wall, actually above the sign of this street, which was actually called Bell Street. Wow. She's called Margaret Bell, and Bell. they're above this sign that says Bell Street. Now, you think, well, bees obviously can't read, but... You know, that could have been an amazing coincidence, but you never, you would never generally see that. No. A load of bees, you know, well, that, on like the, the I mean, side of an house. Those kind of strange coincidences and odd anomalies like that, though, are part of the fascination with the 14 stories as well, you know, yeah. because you often see in the 14 times those incredible. Uh, images you find in trees that looks like a face or a hand or something Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and i've got this i've actually got on one of my keyboards there's this little bit of muck in between because it's so used and hammered and i've never bothered to clean it's just like this little electric keyboard yeah and it's the most perfectly formed sort of caricatured face you know, and I, I should have got my son. I said, "Look at that!" And he goes, "Oh, wow, it's a face!" You know. <laughs> now, obviously, that's nothing, but some of them are so incredibly carved into the wilderness or into yeah. the world that they just seem completely strange that they could be anything. I'm sure they are just coincidence, but it is fascinating. All the yeah, same. Like, and you get Jesus on a piece of toast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. <that's... clears throat> so I've got this lovely pal locally uh, called Yanto he's a great lad he's much younger than me but we get on really well and he comes with me sometimes take the dog out for a walk got another pal called Stefan 
and we get on really well. We've done a lot of music and stuff together. He's a really, really nice sound lad. And he told me, because we often talk about sort of fourteen things and we talk about ufology and stuff as well, which is quite interesting. And he's very interested in it. Yeah. But he told me this story and he's a very down to earth lad too. I have to say, he's really pragmatic lad. But he told me about this uh, night he was driving home from Corwen, I think it was, back to where they live near Denby. And uh, so it's about a 20 mile ride, let's say. Quite near there, there's a sort of big stately place. Like, I don't know, it's a manor house, but it's an estate, you know what I mean? A lot of land and stuff. And it's got like, it's got this uh, very old wall that runs quite a long way parallel to the road the a road and then this hedging in front of the the uh the wall he told me that as they were driving from Corwin past this estate which is about halfway uh, on the journey this figure in white came out of the bushes and ran parallel along the road alongside of the vehicle and then just disappeared back into the bush again yeah dressed in like a white suit, right? Came out of the bush, parallel with the vehicle, and then back in the bush again. And you, and you had like one this... of the Liverpool football squad at 1990. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's an interesting point. But it was just, it was so freakish, and it really freaked Jan out. And he thought... Well, he's oh, driving. No, yeah. he's a passenger. His oh, mum was passenger, driving. Right. Sorry, I didn't explain that, but yeah. he was no, you might he was passenger to his mother's driving and they carried on and he said nothing until they were like five minutes from home and the aunt then turned to his mum and said mum did you see this person it appeared to come out of the bushes run sort of parallel with the car uh, and then go back in the bushes and seem to disappear because you look back through the, the rear view mirror and the side mirror could see nothing yeah and she said, yeah, I, I did, but I thought I'd kind of imagined it and I didn't want to say anything to you. So it's, it's so typically Welsh, this mate, as well. I promise you. Like the understated, don't really want to say anything because it's a bit weird. When Jan was brave enough to turn to his mum and say, did you see that? She corroborated it. And again, I'm convinced by it because this guy is a really straight up kind of guy. You know, mm. he, would, he wouldn't. Talk baloney. What? Now it might have been that there's just some strange vagrant knocking, but in a white suit, just yeah. coming out of a bush, running along, and then disappearing back into the bush, and then seems to vanish completely. Yeah, so, so odd. It reminds me a bit of that. I think it's quite a famous story about the the hitchhiker oh, who that scared the hell out of me. Is, is it? Is it? He gets a lift. This hitchhiker that. He's obviously thumbing a lift and people stop for him and he tells he all he says is where he wants to go. Mm. The uh, the driver takes this guy to the address and uh, when he gets there, he looks over and suddenly the passenger has gone. Somehow has just disappeared. So the driver then goes to the door and says, look, I was flagged down. I was asked to give this guy a lift to this house. You know, do you know anything about it? And the people in the house always say oh yeah that that's our son he died on that road where you picked him up in a motorbike oh, accident or something cool. they say it quite matter-of-factly because apparently it happened a lot people would give the the ghost a lift 
Wow. It's quite a famous one, that. But there was another similar story that I was reading the 14 times of this guy that's at work and he suddenly gets this urge to go and visit his girlfriend. And his girlfriend lives 20 miles away and he's not got any transport, you know, and the buses weren't frequent. So he starts walking. And whilst he's walking, this car pulls up and says, oh, do you want a lift? And he gets in the car and uh, there's this guy in the car, fat guy, overweight, bald. And he says no conversation happened during the trip. You know, it was Mm. like 15 minutes. And as he gets to his girlfriend's house, this guy lets him out. And he goes up to the flat, knocks on the door. And she opens the door and she looks frightened to death. And he's saying, what's up, what's up? And she says, well, I don't know really, but I just suddenly started feeling scared because I was doing some ironing and I just felt that I wasn't alone. I looked over my shoulder and I saw this guy just sat in the corner and she describes this fat, bald guy. Oh, God. And then he remembers that when he got in the car, he never actually told the driver where to go. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Those... Pretty spooky, that one. The creepy hitchhiker thing really gets me. Yeah. Because I remember that was one of the first ones that on Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World to really freak oh, me out. Oh, was it? Right. When the guy gave the the young person the, the lift and he was just driving along, turned around to, to have a chat with them and they just vanished. They just yeah. weren't there. I mean, and then he absolutely... Went back to the pub and was ashen, you know. I have literally seen a ghost, you know. Yeah. So th- th- those programs, you know. I've, I've got them on DVD. I've got them all, yeah. I've got watch them all again. on DVD. I think the one story that really scared me a lot was very reminiscent to that Black Monk of Pontifact story where the woman kept seeing like a veiled, uh, a, a cowled monk in, in the bedroom, the kid's bedroom. <laughs> it's oh, always God. just terrifying yeah and she kept having to take the kid out of the bedroom because there it was stood at stood at the bottom of the bed mm. that kind of that thought sort of the geezer butler butler story of the apparition yeah. at the end of the bed is yeah. so fucking terrifying it's the last thing anyone would it ever used to want to be on at seven o'clock on a wednesday night that, i know and it was and it's like, it just give you nightmares but you loved it I loved it. And I remember the spontaneous the, combustion. Do you spontaneous remember Spontaneous combustion. That was a fascinating subject. There was a wonderful story as well of that people's house getting bombarded with stones and sticks and nobody could ever figure out it wasn't mm. kids in the neighbourhood. It wasn't some kind of strange gang or vandals or anything or people at any kind of umbrage with the family. It just kept happening randomly. And every time they went outside to see where, the, where it was coming from, they lived quite remotely, you know. Mm-hmm. the countryside nobody was there it just happened over and over again over weeks that kind of freaked me out you know <laughs> those small stories quite often like that ones that evokes especially as, you're, as a kid you know the, the ghost photographs obviously that really got me you yeah. know will always get me that the that. one that really got me and still does is the woman in the back of the car oh no that's you love that they're attending her funeral, I think. So it's mm. a picture of the funeral car or one of them. And it looks like Prince Philip is the is, yes, it is does. in the front of the car. As he looks now. Yeah, <laughs> as he looks now, you know. <laughs> Just been released from the morgue. 
And in the back, there's this Thatcher-like looking woman, <laughs> isn't there? But yeah. she's got glowing white eyes, so it's like a negative. It's uh, it's a fucking freaky picture, that. Oh, yeah. I always loved that. That was my favourite ghost picture. When well, was... for me, it's always been the the, uh, the newbie church. Yeah. Um, our oh. old monk oh, at the altar, which freaks me out. Even I'm looking at it now to this day. It freaks me out. Mm. And what got me in that episode of R.C. Clark's Mysterious World when they analysed it and said, well, we can't find any anything wrong with it. And he's like, oh, my God, mm. it's not a fake. You know, it was taken by the vicar. It's been proven not to be tampered with. It's almost too brilliant to be true. You know, it's yeah. so strange looking. And it's been the template for all those um, horror films. It is, isn't it? Mm. Definitely the mask wearing scream. It's been, uh, it's been stolen from that incredible photograph. Yeah. And that, God, that gave me nightmares. Uh, I mean, R.C. Clarke's show probably terrified me more than most films that I watched as mm-hmm. a kid, because mm-hmm. it's the it's the reality element. It's the it's the suggestion that it's real, which of course keeps you fascinated with the the fourteen world, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And talking of rational people, really incredibly rational people who've seen strange things. And this relates to family members of mine who I won't name, but they're the most incredibly rational people. And when I confessed an interest in ufology to them, well, firstly, the first family member said, well, that's interesting because when I many years ago, when I was a security guard in the middle of the night, I saw this orb like object just fly over follow the lines of the roofs of the houses across from where I was being security. And I watched it for five minutes as it went across the houses, going up and down over the roofs of each of the houses before it disappeared down the valley. Wow. And when I heard that, something as simple as that as a story, yeah. someone who's so rational, that's, the story that resonates that's the story that puts the little chill in my spine because this person is an absolute complete agnostic if not atheist the most pragmatic person you could ever wish to meet and the other person the same and the story goes they stood at the back door looking up in the sky and was totally freaked out because this the, this object flew across the sky and literally stopped in its tracks and this person said she was so freaked out by it she felt like it was absolutely looking down on her that it was just totally freaked her out the way it was moving across the sky when does that happen when does that happen it happened in reverse to me in portugal that really was amazing when i looked in the sky there it was it looked like a star and then it went from absolutely not moving as a star it went directly upwards right. into the heavens. I don't know what that was, but that was pretty amazing. And this was came across and stopped. And this again is you know from someone who I can't even bring myself to have a chat with her about it. Uh, you know because she she's that kind of 
person who just lives in the re- real world, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I am always always happy to have a dalliance with fantasy. You yeah. know, but I stand by any of the things that I've seen or. Yeah, I wish, you know, I I wish something had happened because I can't think of anything 14 that has really happened to me in the last 20, 30 years, really. I was wondering whether there's a theory about do you see more when you're a kid, you know? Yeah, and I think so. Like you said, you know, maybe you are a bit more relaxed and a bit more tuned in to your environment and uh, your senses are a bit more alert when you're a kid. I think so. I mean, your imagination certainly is as well. I mean, I had an imaginary yeah. friend as a kid. Like, not like I didn't have enough bloody brothers, <laughs> you know, four brothers, but I started had an imaginary friend to go figure that. You know, was it just that? Who knows? I mean, I have no memory of it at all. Probably, and I've always had quite a vivid imagination, but I do stand by the the odd little things that have happened, and they have only been one or two things. They've not been overly dramatic. Yeah, and, and in a way, that's what, that's what I like. I don't want to hear anything. I, I'm not sure I believe anything outlandish, but if somebody who is really practical and pragmatic, like your mum and dad, who I know very well and I know exactly that's what they are, and family members of mine who I know are exactly the same like that, or friends who tell me a story who are in- incredibly pragmatic, it doesn't need to be a big story. If it's just a little something that is absolutely strange and fortean, who am I? Yeah. I'm not going to disbelieve that person because that person is incredibly credible to me. It's, it's yeah, not some yeah. wacko. And the same with the other one, you know, the, the object flying across and just stopping in itself doesn't sound that dramatic. But when you actually stop and really process that thought, you go, well, hang on a minute. What does that? What actually does do that? Yeah, when you start to think about a rational explanation and you can't actually come up with one. Yeah. It opens up this. To me, it's a bit like it's an alien world. It's an alien way of thinking because I'm not I still can't really bring myself to believe in the afterlife or ghosts and things like that. No, no, I can't. These examples I can't explain. No. And I hear, you know, a a little red, red orb flying around your room and you you, mm. you and your brother trying to catch it seeing a family relative stood there in your house yeah i mean i wonder why that happens what's the family relative there for i mean what why what's driving it i mean why am a mum and a sister waking up coughing what's it meant to mean i suppose obviously it's meant to mean there's some sort of symbiosis between yeah. So you, 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 your mother and her sister develop a psychosomatic cough at the same time that your grandmother is dying in hospital of lung cancer. It's bizarre, yeah. definitely. It's almost like maybe the interconnection of close human beings aren't far removed from the beehive. So it could be explained in nature, in a way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I a mean, kind of symbiosis across people. Twins, you know, when you study twins, they do have, they do seem to have a, a telepathic yeah connection don't they yeah it is amazing right i think we're coming to the end dave i wanted very quickly have you got any final stories well can i run this at you i've tried to give you this as quickly as i possibly can it's a fascinating true story that took place on the 23rd of january 1974 round here we call it the the burwin mountain incident or 
from a 14 point of view, you can call it the Berwyn Mountain UFO incident. Okay. Mm. And on that day, the 23rd of January, 1974, in the villages of Clandefell and Clandrithlo, near the Berwyn Mountains, there was a massive earthquake, massive earthquake. And people had seen a ball of light in the sky. In fact, there was many farmers in the area that had seen even more than that. But that was to come out later in conversation. They'd seen things in the sky. But the local district nurse, Pat Evans, was awakened to hear this huge crash. And there'd been reports of ball of light, a ball of light in the sky. So she, being the district nurse, called 999. 999 said there's been some reports. They'd had some reports of a, what could have been a plane crash, okay, on the Berwyn Mountains. Either the Berwyn Mountain, what was called Kadir Berwyn or Kadir Bronwen, okay, yeah. which were nearby. And this isn't too far away from us. This is only like about 30 miles away, 40 miles away from where I sit. And so Pat Evans, the local district nurse, she went out with her two daughters to try and investigate. And when they went out towards the Berwyn Mountain, I think she, it's either she was looking from Berwyn Mountain across to the Bronwen range, or, the, or vice versa, she saw what was a ball of light sat, literally sat on the mountain. Okay. Right. Her daughters saw it. I've tried tonight to find the interview because up until a couple of months ago, the interview was there on YouTube, them speaking incredibly frankly about what happened. She said she saw a ball of light and what appeared to be like some people going towards it. So she left, she took a, because she's got a little a, a girls with her, young daughters, only very young at the time, put them back in the car, thought it's been attended to by people. And she went back. So she mm. thought, I don't know what it is, but these people there dealing with it, it's very strange, this like ball of light, like an orb. Yeah. The army came into the area. There was a, there was a big influx of the army that came in and the military defence tried to get Pat Evans to change her story but she would not change her story she did not change her story and she was absolutely adamant what she saw was like a an orb that was sat on the mountain wasn't a terminator in it was it (laughs) but here's the interesting thing i found out not so long ago that the young chap that i was talking to you about yanto his mum, who was the other witness to the strange man in the white suit affair, knew Pat Evans really well. And Pat told her the story that right. I'd seen on the interview. And if you can get that footage, who's taken that off YouTube? It really has pissed me off because that is such fantastic footage. And it makes me suspicious that it's been taken off YouTube. Yeah. Why has it been taken off YouTube? Pat Evans has never changed the story, but what she has done because she got pissed off with being approached by ufologist nut jobs all the time, she said she would never talk about it again. She now lives in Spain. She's an elderly woman, mm. but her daughters and her have never changed the story. And there were other eyewitnesses, but you'll find that most skeptics will try and poo-poo the whole story and say it was just a strange freak coincidence of a big meteor and an earthquake that came across the uh, the North Sea. It was felt in the Isle of Man. It was felt in Liverpool, blah, blah, blah. And it was felt, of course, 
in the Welsh countryside, but it's often called the Welsh Roswell because the eyewitnesses were absolutely adamant to what they saw. If anybody can find the interviews of Pat Evans and her daughters talking about the Berwyn Mountain incident, could they please send it to us on the Something Wicked podcast, uh, you know, to Twitter or to Facebook or, you know, get, get it to Lee in particular because it's fascinating and I couldn't find it today on YouTube. Yeah, not heard of that one. Yeah, no, this this is the thing. It's quite well known around here, but it's lost some resonance, I think, overall in the UK in 14 terms. And it will have been broached by the 14 Times, I'm sure, at some point. I might look into the archives of 14 Times and see what they've got to say about it. Yeah. But Pat Evans is a, such a credible witness to it. And also the young couple that moved out of the area that were traced, they were tracked and traced, who said they saw the same thing, but from a different angle. You know, it's really fascinating. This orb sitting there on the mountain after this cataclysmic bloody event that seemed to take place that really freaked out the villagers. There's a whole thing about orbs, isn't there? Around ghost hunting and things like that. I presume this was a bigger thing, was it? Oh, this was big. Yeah, this was a Mm. big orb. But orbs are very, very much part of the whole ufology thing. Maybe the big red spot was, or the nasty spot was an orb. Well, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of these orbs captured on film, you know, in these these, these ghost shows. Very often you can, oh, hang on a minute. That looks like it's probably a dust particle for me. But if you're seeing like a solid object, you know, what is that? Where does that come from? When I, when I hear of this idea of a, a small orb, like the size of a football tracing over houses, you know, almost like a drone, but in back in the, like say the 1980s or something, then it freaks me out because I think that it's, it's kind of like surveillance. Yeah. Is there something going on? And when you open up the debate to people who might be sort of jokey at first, they'll suddenly go, well, I saw this odd thing. And then all of a sudden somebody's telling me a story about something they saw, which they can't explain, you know? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Most people have got something, whether it be from ufology or whether it be to do with the supernatural, as far as ghosts are concerned, spirits, they've got a story that they can't explain. When they say, oh, hang on a minute, this happened to me. You you know, because people bury them, don't they? They bury them in the back of their minds. I remember this guy, this guy in a pub one day, uh, I was saying to him about orbs and ufology and stuff. I was sort of laughing along. He goes, well, hang on a minute. I saw this situation, and it was amazing. His story was amazing. He went, yeah, well, do you know what? When I was a younger man, I was walking along the beach at such and such, and there was this, like, red object, you know, like a, a solid, round object, and it just was floating around in the sky above the ocean, and then it just dropped and plummeted straight into the ocean. I went, oh, they are. That's quite an interesting story, mate. You know? Yeah, so he started off like half taking the piss. Yeah. And then he realised he's got an unexplained story to tell. And it was almost like he was kind of shocked by himself because he suddenly went, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, when I was a young man, this ha- it's kind of like Kurt Russell when he talks about seeing the Phoenix lights. You know, the Phoenix lights, of course, a very famous ufology story. But Kurt Russell was the first guy to see the phoenix lights oh right and when he confessed this was brilliant because he apparently was watching this documentary about it just by chance 
And in the documentary, it says the lights were first noted by a pilot who was flying a small craft coming into the to Phoenix airport. And he turned to Goldie Hawn, apparently, he said, that was me. <laughs> that was <laughs> I did that because I was dropping my son off in Phoenix in the plane because he's got a private pilot's license. Mm. And I reported seeing these this strange formation of lights in front of me as something unusual and didn't know what they were. And he said, honest to God, you can see the footage of him talk about it. And he said, I never spoke about it since that day. I buried it. And this is the thing. You can see strange things. Like I've done that. I've seen, like I said, an object in the sky that just went up. And I've seen a child in a living room that wasn't there. But I didn't make a song and dance about it. And I kind of don't really talk about them. But they're strange, strange happenings. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we've been talking about ghosts and the afterlife. Maybe we shouldn't have ripped the piss out of Derek Akora on our previous <laughs> podcast. But, uh, <laughs> Maybe not. You know, it seems like there's something in it, doesn't there? Spirits and... I think there's... Know, let's what put is, this, it, I, what I, is I, it Michael Holden says? Oh, no, what's that the guy he's talking to? The spirits of the dead. Spirits of the dead, yeah, in which I'm Survival of the personality. Oh, no, no, it's nonsense. Stuff and nonsense, isn't it? I love that, I love that. Would you, would you? (laughs) It's the whole M.R. James thing, isn't it? Yeah. The the sceptic always has his comeuppance in the end. Yeah. I think you should believe, you know, old boy. I think the interesting point is quite often made about what you would call professionals cynics you know and professional skeptics that gets a lot of people cross is yes say you know criticize and look to pull holes in it but don't just try and destroy somebody's argument it's like this one particular guy and he was trying to get all over rendlesham about the lighthouse yeah and everyone saying to him this wasn't the lighthouse we all knew what the lighthouse looked like we all knew about the lighthouse. You can't just say that. And you've got a hundred people who witnessed something. So there comes the point where you have to say, yeah, be skeptical, be questioning, but don't be a complete and utter skeptic and a total cynic. Leave some degree of open mindedness. If the reality is you can't fully explain what happened. Rejoice in it. Rejoice yeah. in the mystery. Exactly. This is what bothers me. This is what really gets my tits about skeptics. They're so desperately keen to prove it's all bullshit mm. rather than saying that could be bullshit, but that I don't really get. And that's okay. Yeah, it's okay for there to be anomalies in the world. Yeah, it's good. Um, just one final story. And this, this could be put down to coincidence, but if it is a coincidence, what an amazing coincidence it is. It's about this guy who was uh, on leave from work and he was walking, I think he'd gone on holiday somewhere and uh, he was in the middle of nowhere and he passed this phone box and the phone started ringing. As you would, he left it for a bit thinking, well, you know, this, who's this? You know, why should I answer it? Anyway, he ended up answering it. And uh, say, for example, his name's Phil. He answered the phone, 
And the woman on the other end goes, oh, hi, Phil. Yeah, so I'm just calling you about this thing. And he's like freaked out for a few minutes thinking, <sighs> what the fuck? And then he recognised it was somebody from his uh, payroll department where he worked. And she just phoned to query something about his pay. And he's going, hang on, hang on, hang on. You know, uh, <laughs> what, how, how the hell have you found me? I'm just passing this phone box. And you've rung me. And she's going... What, what do you mean? He says, I've just rang your number. I've just rang your home number. Oh. He went, well, you couldn't have. I'm not even at home. I'm oh in this God. phone box in wherever. <laughs> so then she goes, oh, right. Oh, God, I've just realised I've, I've rang the payroll number rather than your phone number. Holy shit, that's incredible. That's amazing. Oh, my God, mate. That's mm. I love that story. Mm. But have you ever, this has happened to me, I've picked up the phone to call somebody and... The other person said, hi, Dave, is that you? I said, yeah. And <laughs> I'm literally like, what the fuck? I was just about to call you. And I've literally picked it up before the it's even rang on the instant. That has happened to me at least once that I can remember. Yeah. And it really freaked me out. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of happened on Skype as well when I've come to ring you. And we've literally spoke at the same time without the bloody music playing. Mm. You know. Now, that could be the fact that we've both got our shit together to ring each other through the Skype at exactly the same time because we're basically trying to get to talk at a specific time, maybe, you know, half nine or 9.35, and it becomes 9.35 when it wanted to be half nine, you know, because of yeah. all the bits and bobs we have to put up with to actually get to sit down and talk to each other. But to do it on a landline is really weird, I think, to think I will call somebody... And then pick up the phone and they're there. I know, God. And I think there's, there's probably some... so many more incidents incidents that happen and uh, that you sort of forget about. You do also have a kind of very strong, almost ESP with like your partner, don't you? I'm sure yeah. you and Michelle have done it and Jackie and I have done it where I'm literally thinking of a tune or a piece of music and then she starts singing it. Yeah. That is, th- or things like that, or, you know, I might make a statement and she's like, oh, I was just going to say exactly that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ultimately, no matter how much we believe in or don't believe in, we should, we really should embrace mysteries, you know? I think yeah. that's the thing. I love it when there's these moments when the 14 world and the supernatural world, if you like, or supernature, I like the term supernature, crosses over with fantastical things in nature which mm. actually then become supernature. Great example of this. And it's been a Christian scientist's way of t- trying to suggest there's a grand design or, a, you know, a, a God in the story of how birds ended up knowing how to drink the cream off the top of the milk. Yeah. And, the, and the story is that it never happened until some blue tits in one part of the country Britain figured out that they could get the cream off the top of the milk by popping a hole in the top. Mm. How they figured that out anyway is, is is amazing. These birds in this particular area started doing it, right? And then the next thing you know, almost in days or, or moments, birds at the other end of the country were doing the same thing. So go figure that. It's amazing. That's super nature right there. Yeah. Okay, well, brilliant chat, Dave. I, I love the oh, 14 subjects. I love it, mate. And I, yeah. I think maybe we 
we should do more of it, shouldn't we? Because uh, yeah. it's been a delight to have done the uh, Tom and UFO and then tonight. Just, I think I love the personal touch of these stories as well. Yeah. Really good. I'm sure there's there's others that I forgot, but... Uh... We need to have a think and come mm. back and do some more, I think, because I think yeah. there's probably one or two other bits and bobs that I could, you know, regale. Right. Well, thank you, Dave. And uh, thanks for listening, listeners. We'll be back soon. Take care. Take care. Do you believe in ghosts, Professor? Ghosts? That's rather a sticky one, isn't it? I'm not quite certain what you mean. I mean, I'm never quite certain what I'm being invited to believe when anybody asks me a question like that. I'm not even quite certain what I'm being invited to disbelieve when it comes to that. We're quite with you, old chap. No, well, well, I mean, you ask me, do I believe in, say, Australia? Well... Now, I know perfectly well what sort of thing I'm being asked to judge. I mean, we all agree what we mean by Australia. <laughs> large continent, southern hemisphere, discovered by Captain Cook. Four or five large cities, kangaroos, and so on and so on. And given that, given that, one can perfectly well imagine the sort of procedure that one might put in hand to confirm, or on the other hand, to disconfirm its existence. It's not quite the same thing with ghosts, is it? I mean, there's no broad consensus about what a ghost is, is there? You owe me a bit of a chime on that one. Let's think now. Ghosts. Uh, the spirits of the dead. Uh, the, the, the survival of the human personality. Ah. Ah. Survival of the human personality. Hmm. Well, now, <coughs> that's a different question again, really. And uh, it has the grammatical appearance of a real question, but I wonder, does it really, does it really mean anything either? Or it? Well, let's see. We say, for the sake of argument, that the human personality survives death. Right? Right. Well, now, but... Would we say it in the same way that we might say, for example, that someone survived a train crash? Mm, yes. No, but would we? Yes. Would we, you see? I mean, <clears throat> we say, don't we, that Pausanias survived the train crash but was very badly injured by it. Now, we wouldn't want to say that Pausanias survived death was really badly injured by it. Would we? I mean, we wouldn't want to say that. Would we? No, no, no. Well, well clearly here we have a, a logical difference of usage in that death, in a sense, is not like other physical catastrophes. I mean, one, one doesn't talk about anyone being very badly hurt by death. Oh, well. Except possibly the relatives of the deceased. <laughs> but never the victim himself. Excluding, of course, the, the, uh, the special interpretation in which one might say that he had been injured fatally 
<laughs> I don't know for that matter that she had. True. True. But there are more things in heaven and earth than in your philosophy. No, no. I prefer to put it a different way. There are more things in philosophy than are dreamt of in heaven and earth. More <laughs> things in heaven and earth. <laughs> Delicious break.